Matt mentioned my name is Evan Curry, I'm church planning resident at Liberty East, uh, which basically means I hang out with the Liberty Network for about a, I think he said, a year more or so, which is kind of like, if you've met Steve Huber, that's basically how things work. Uh, it's kind of like or so, and it's just you kind of just roll with things. Uh, but I, I'm really, really happy to be here. It's uh, my second time here. I think it's like my third or fourth time in Harrisburg area in general. So I think Will was... Uh, berating me for not, no, I'm just kidding, Will and I were talking about it on the way here, so I'm happy to be here, uh, and I would like to particularly thank Matt, and I met his wife, Shay, who's extremely nice, uh, if you did not know that, and uh, thank you for the staff and the worship team, and everyone giving announcements, I really appreciate that. Today, uh, we'll be in Colossians chapter 1, I'll be talking to you about prayer, we'll actually be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, your bulletins say 13. To 14. That, I believe, is my bad. I added an extra one in there, which is unnecessary. But if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, please take those out. And we will start in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. The title of my sermon is called A Prayer But No Request. And so what we'll see from this passage, Paul, we'll see Paul's prayer for the Colossian church who have no apparent need. And so what does Paul ask for when he prays for them? Let's read. We, meaning Paul and Timothy, always ask God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when, or always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. As indeed, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, as may known to us your love in the Spirit." And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to You, our Rock and our Redeemer. Lord, we approach Your Word with reverence that these are just not any words, but these are words that come from You. But we also thank You that You desire to not only have us revere You, we desire that we can call You friend. And we thank You for this because of our brother, Jesus Christ, 
who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. I recently became a homeowner. Anybody else? Homeowners? Okay, two of you. Great. The rest of you go to Messiah College. I got it. And I found out very quickly that I'm not particularly good with home repair. Typically, I have to call my father-in-law over to my house, and he'll fix some stuff for me uh, because of my lack of experience in this area. But I can do basics. I can paint this wall. I can hang up that picture. Those types of things. However, what I found extremely challenging is what happened soon after my family and I moved into our house. One evening, my wife is taking a shower upstairs, and I'm in the dining room downstairs working on some project on my laptop. I can't recall what it was. I apologize. And I'm sitting with my back turned away from our living room. And I hear this. Drip. 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 And I'm thinking, that, that kind of sounds like water. <laughs> and I think, oh, that must be the pipes or something. I, I must be hearing things. So I just go back to work. And then I hear, splash, splash, splash. And I say to myself, Evan, that sounds an awful lot like water. And again, I use my powers of observation. And I turn around, and I see water flowing from my ceiling onto my floor. And so I do what any good homeowner would do in that moment. I frantically run upstairs and tell my wife to stop taking a shower. (laughs) Water is dripping into our living room. And after a visit from the plumber, I find that I need to replace the pipe under the floor of my bathroom. Uh, My house was built in the 50s. It's actually a lead pipe. True story. They used to use that back in the day. And there I am sitting with a bill that might as well have been titled, The Joys of Home Ownership. (laughs) But how would I have known? The pipe's hidden. And up to that point, my house looked totally fine. No issues. We just moved in. We just had a home inspection not that long ago. And I even paid a little extra for termite inspection. So I'm golden. Or so I thought. When water was flowing out of my ceiling, which if you don't own a house, that's not supposed to happen. And I had to call on someone to fix those things. Now, if I had been an expert plumber, which I find out expert plumbers like to tell you the things you should have known as if you were an expert plumber, or if I could have seen through the floor, Superman style, and seen the pipe eroding, I would have addressed it. But I didn't. And I couldn't. And if I don't see the apparent need, I won't choose to do it, because in this case, in many cases, my ignorance outweighs my abilities. 
And isn't it the same way with prayer? I'm very good at praying for people when I can see the issues come to the surface. When a pastor is caught in adultery, I say, oh man, I should start praying for him and for his church. When my friend loses her high-paying job, I say, oh man, I really need to start praying for her. And when I don't like a particular government policy or ruling, I say, oh man, now's the time. I really need to start praying for my country. And when my kids are in trouble, I say, oh man, I should pray for their spiritual renewal. Or something like that. You know how you pray for your kids. Because if I don't see the apparent need, I don't pray. The Colossian Christians are very much the same way. In that they don't really have an apparent need. They really don't need prayer the way we think about it. They are a group of people in a small town in ancient Rome who came to Jesus through Paul, the author of this letter. Life is pretty okay for them at that moment. But even where they may not have appeared to need prayer, Paul prays for them anyway. Paul does this in Philippians and Ephesians as well. And even when there isn't an apparent need, Paul chooses to pray for Christians in those cities. They are close to God's heart, and so they're close to Paul's as well. So, this begs a question. What does it look like to pray for others when there doesn't appear to be an apparent need? How should I go about praying when there hasn't been a request for prayer? How do I pray for my wife when everything seems to be okay? How do I pray for my leaders? How do I pray for my pastor and elders when everything seems to be okay? Christianity is fundamentally about loving God and loving others. And so our prayer life should be fundamentally about loving God and others. Philippians 2 reminds us that we are called to not only look out for our own interests, but also the interests of others. So when I pray, I pray for the interests of others. When Paul prays here in Colossians 1, he prays for the interests the interest of others. The Colossian Christians. And what makes this interesting is that what we know from Scripture and from history is that Paul is actually in prison during this time. And even while he's in prison, he prays first for the interests of others. When we think about how often we pray, we generally pray for change in our circumstances and or the circumstances of others. Typically, we pray for what we want God to change. God, I want a better job. I need to make more money, God. Don't let my wife leave me, God. God, people at work 
or at school are poking fun at my faith. Please change that. God, help my kids get straight A's in school so that they can go to an Ivy League school, get married, buy a house, have kids, drive a minivan, and then they can pray for the same thing for their kids. But it's different when we're praying for someone when we don't see an apparent need. What happens when I'm not in a prayer meeting and get to hear everyone's requests? What happens when, my, when it seems like my kids are okay and they aren't rebelling? How do I pray for them? What happens when I don't see my friends struggling with sin or illness? How do I pray for them? I just don't usually pray that way. I become so accustomed to praying for apparent needs in my life, and to be honest, occasionally, the needs of others. And so I fail to do what Paul does here in Colossians 1. Paul, in loving God and others, starts first by thanking God. And his whole prayer is a prayer shaped by thankfulness. If you look at verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God when we pray for you. And near the end, in verse 12, he, he starts a statement by saying, Giving thanks to the Father. Paul's prayer for the Colossians begins and ends with thanking God for various things. While Paul prays for a multitude of things for the Colossians, he bookends his prayers with thankfulness. He's thankful for their faith, hope, and love, things we know he values based on his letter to 1 Corinthians. And he's thankful for what God has given them already. And thanking God isn't completely strange at first glance. But at the same time, this isn't typically how I start my prayers. Or at least, not the focus of my prayers. Usually now I pray like, hey God, thanks for this day, you know, thanks for this food, what have you. And then I quickly move to, hey God, could you do these other things over here? Hey God, if... You could let this person be cured of cancer. That would be pretty cool. Hey God, if you could be with this person's marriage or this person's kids, that would be really nice of you. But Paul isn't focused on the Colossians' circumstances, but on what they already have in Jesus. And in this vein, Paul also thanks God that the gospel has been implanted in the hearts of the Colossians and is showing fruit amongst them and around the world. In verse 5, of, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which means good news, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world and it is bearing fruit and increasing. Paul thanks God for the good news of Jesus, that it's growing, that it's taking root, that is bearing fruit and increasing. And here's where Paul's prayer is a subtle critique 
on my prayer life. Paul doesn't ask them to change his circumstances. That he'll get out of prison soon. Paul doesn't pray for change in their circumstances. Paul thanks God for his gospel, his good news, and prays that the Colossians will experience this more and more in various ways. It's a prayer, but there never was a prayer request. And take a step back for a moment. Scripture reminds me time and time again to be thankful in the midst of my circumstances. Circumstances are circumstances. They're going to be there. And Scripture says, be thankful. When life looks bleak, be thankful. When I can't find the closest parking spot I can possibly find to the mall, be thankful. When someone I love is dying of cancer, be thankful. God doesn't ask us to only be thankful when things are going our way. When I get a promotion, when I buy a new house, when I buy a new car, but also when things aren't going my way. He asked me to be thankful for what I've already received in Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't go later and start complaining to Matt. So I'm going to save Matt the conversation. There are plenty of times in Scripture where you do pray for your circumstances, right? We see this. But do we find that all interesting? That when Paul prays for people in opening his letters, he doesn't pray for the change in their circumstances. Even churches that seem like they need it. He prays for what they've already received in Jesus. When I don't know how to pray, or you don't know how to pray, or what to pray for, I thank God. When my circumstances are overwhelming, when I'm sitting in prison, when my body is failing, when all seems bleak, I pray and thank God for what I already have in Him. When things are going well and feel like they couldn't get better, thank God. And even when there's no apparent need, thank God. And I'm asked to pray the same for others. And so Paul continues in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Here, Paul prays that the Colossians, the Christian Colossians, or the Colossian Christians, will know God better and walk in obedience to Him. For those who follow Jesus, we're always asking this question, and you, you probably some of you think we're crazy because we do this. Like, what's God's will? What's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? Got to find out what God's will is. Hey, what's God's will for my kids? You guys have experienced this before? Yes. Some nodding. Yes. Okay. I'm the one who deals with this. So, I ask that a lot of times. <laughs> what is God's will? 
And it's vital to know God's will. And then we should also be praying that others will know God's will too. But knowing the will of God is not a fruitless venture like chasing the wind. The will of God is, as Paul says, that I walk in a manner worthy of Him and I know Him better. I mean, isn't that wonderful? For all these times we wonder what God's will is, it's that we are obedient to Him. And it's also God's will, very much so, that He can know you better. The Christian God is not a God that I cannot relate to or know on a deeper level. He's not up in heaven, you know, caring very little about the mess we make down here. And occasionally He does some things and interacts with us. God is a God that can be known. And it's His will that you can know Him. And so Paul prays and we pray that we and others will respond to God out of gratitude through good works and that we get to know Him better. Those of you who are married understand that the, you know, the longer I spend time with my wife, the more intentional I am with our relationship, the more I get to know her. I know after years of marriage that she doesn't like my music. She tolerates it. She likes cooking. I like eating her cooking. She's creative. I like pretending to be creative. But the more time I spend with her on an intimate, intentional level, the more I get to know her. And our prayers for others should be the same way that people, that others we know, get to know God better in a more intimate, intentional way. And when we talk about praying for someone who hasn't requested it, what more could someone need than to know God better? What more could you need than to know God better? And in knowing God better, Paul prays that the Colossians might also be strengthened. Some of us here today need to be strengthened. Some of us need this endurance that Paul's talking about. Some of us need this patience. And we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to pray and ask God to give us those things. I might not even notice I need them. You might not notice that I need them. But I need them. I do. We all do. Two and a half years ago, my mother passed away after a 10-year battle of cancer. She would tell me during her battle that she spent a lot of time praying. Others spent a lot of time praying for her. People would stop me at church to let me know that they were praying for her. And interestingly, Friends of other religions would tell me they were praying for her. And during that time, 
During her fighting cancer, she grew closer to God, more than she ever could imagine. She was able to know God better, and because of her prayers and the prayers of of others, she was strengthened in the midst of her battle. And I don't think I saw it then, but I have started to understand it now. Is that while people were praying for my mom, they were praying for us, our family as well. And when she passed away, many of those prayers focused on our family. And we as a family were strengthened. We as a family grew closer to God and to each other. And I credit much of that to the prayers of others. And a lot of times we did a really good job at not showing we needed that prayer. And a lot of you and a lot of us here are very good at showing that we don't need prayer. That we basically have figured it out. And it wasn't until some of my visits to a therapist, some of my brother's visits to therapists, that we started to realize that we did a really good job at pretending like it was all okay while we're falling apart inside. And in those moments, even though it looked like I didn't need it, even though my brothers and my family didn't always look like we needed it, and, but my mom very much looked like she needed it, those prayers strengthened us. They gave us endurance. They gave us patience. And we're very grateful for those prayers. We all need to know God better. We all need to be strengthened with God's power. And we all need each other to be praying for us and us praying for each other. But if we desire these things, we are asked to pray the same for others. Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 6, do to others as you would have them do to you. Part of the reason we pray for others is that we want the same things. We need strength, so we pray that others will receive strength. We need endurance and patience, so we pray others will have it. We need the gospel implanted in us and showing fruit in us, so we pray that it will be the same for others. We need healing, so we pray that God will heal others. We need rest for our souls. And so we pray that God will give rest to the souls of others. If I want it, I should also be praying that others will receive the same. And in that, it humbles me. We start to understand a little bit more what Paul is talking about here. Because my prayers become much and much less focused on me, but on what others need, apparent needs or not. And at the conclusion of his prayer, Paul again thanks God for what he and the Colossians already received. Building off verse 11, let's look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul calls the Colossians to, in thankfulness, reflect on what God has already done for them. Some of us have really been beaten down to a pulp by life. Some of us don't know where to turn. Some of us are ignorant to how lost we actually are. And in those moments, the times when others pray for us and reach out to God on our behalf, those are the times when God really starts to step in and does things in our lives in a marvelous way. Imagine with me that you're out to dinner with a friend. You just had a fantastic and very expensive, expensive dinner at the nicest restaurant you can think of. All right? If your scale is like Chipotle, just think a little nicer than that, okay? You've even splurged and you got drinks and dessert. And the server comes to your table and they drop off your check with the high cost of luxury attached to it. And you reach down to pay your bill and you go for your wallet and you realize, I forgot my wallet. And you begin to panic. Maybe in your mind, you probably don't start like waving your arms or freaking out. And your friend didn't bring their wallet because, after all, you're a pretty decent person and wouldn't expect a friend to pay for a meal that you invited them to. And in a very shy manner, you call the server over and embarrassingly explain, I forgot my wallet. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what to do. And the server turns back to you and says, that's okay. Actually, someone who knew you just left and they paid for your meal. And in that moment, what was an embarrassing situation becomes a joyous one. When you were concerned about how you would pay the debt, someone had already done it for you. And what I need to pay the debt I owe because of my sin, I don't have on me. But it's already been paid by the death of Jesus. And that's what Paul is reminding them. You already have everything you need. And thus, everything I need has already been given to me in Jesus. I give thanks to God the Father because He qualified me. He has delivered me. He has transferred me. He has redeemed me. He has forgiven my sins. I don't need to pay my debt. You don't need to pay your debt. In Jesus, everything you need has already been given to you. You may not feel qualified. In Jesus, you already have been. You may not feel the need to be delivered. But in Jesus, you already have been. 
you may feel that you're still in the wrong camp. In Jesus, you've already been transferred to the right one. You may feel like you can never be redeemed. In Jesus, you already have been. You may not feel forgiven. You have a hard time forgiving yourself for the things that you have done. In Jesus, you've already been forgiven. And you may not have felt the need to pray. You may not feel the need to ask anyone to pray. You may not have requested it, but in Jesus, someone has been praying for you. In another one of his letters, Paul speaks of a glorious day when all pain and anguish will be wiped away with the return of Jesus. But for now, he says, we groan painfully waiting for that day. In Romans chapter 8, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not... He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Even when I don't ask for it. Even when I didn't request it. The Bible says, the Holy Spirit's been praying for me. For us. Even when I felt unlovable. God has made it that I can never be separated from His love. Even when people bring charges against me and they want me to justify breathing the same air as them, God has already justified me. Even when I've met with tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or a sword, God calls me more than a conqueror. Even when life's upside down, even when my kids seem out of control, even when I don't seem to get it or I'm skeptical that God could do it, it's already been done. You didn't ask for it. You didn't feel like you needed it. But it's already 
been given to you. So we pray for others because in Jesus, the Spirit has already been praying to the Father for us. We pray for others even though they don't request it because we didn't request it either. Let's pray. Father, I come before you, we come before you confessing that we generally do not pray in a way that's thankful, in a way that looks out for the interests of others, in a way that is reminding ourselves what is already given to us in Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that even though we weren't looking for it, even though we think we didn't need it, you gave it to us. And so we thank you for this in the name of your Son who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.